Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 8 and 9 is our goal this evening. Before we get in, I want you to turn back to chapter 1. Two things I'd like to point out as we get into this book. Again, mainline um, Christianity, both in Protestantism and in Roman Catholicism, do not take the book literally. They take it allegorically or symbolically. Uh, So you're in the minority as we take a literal look at the book. In 3 of chapter 1, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And then in verse 19, we have the key to the book of Revelation. Uh, The year is 96 A.D. The Lord has appeared to John on the island of Patmos. And he tells John to write the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1. And that would be a vision of the Lord himself. Then he's told to write the things that are. That's in the present tense. That's chapters 2 and 3. That's the church age. And then the write the things which will be after this. And that comprises chapters uh, 4 through the end of the book. So there you have the key to the book of Revelation. It is divided into three sections. Uh, Chapters 2 and 3, the church age. The thing I'll point out here are two churches. If you look at verse 21, he's speaking to the church of Thyatira. And um, they had allowed false doctrine to come into the church. They were practicing idolatry. And the Lord said, um, I gave you time to repent. You wouldn't repent. So I will cast you, because you commit spiritual adultery, into great tribulation. So here is a church, Christian by name, but when the rapture happens, they'll be left behind and they'll go through the great tribulation. Now in contrast to that, if you look at verse um, 10 to the church of Philadelphia, small church, They had two things going for themselves. Uh, They wouldn't compromise the word of God. And uh, they they had little strength, but they kept his word, not denied his name. And in verse 10, he says, Because you've kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon, notice, the whole world. So this trial will come upon the complete planet Earth, to test those who dwell on the earth. I point that out because um, one church will be excluded from entering the Great Tribulation, and clearly another is told, unless they get back to the gospel and just teach just the gospel, they're going to go through the Tribulation. Now with that, for a background, we have the church in chapter 5, singing a song in verse 9, that only the church can sing. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, uh, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Uh, This takes place in heaven. So the church is in heaven at this time. Um, We started chapter 6 and 7 last week with the Lord opening um, uh, the first six seals. And what I want to point out in this chapter is verse 8. And I looked to behold the pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and the beasts of the earth. Now I point that out because um, I went online today and it has an ongoing account, how many people there are. There are 7 billion, 500 million, and then it just keeps adding on. It tells you how many people are being born every second. One person every second dies. So one, two, three, four, five. Five people just died. So it has an ongoing account. So roughly, by the time we get, before we get to the fifth seal, and this will play into our study, 
a little bit later, but I want to point it out here. Um, we have almost 2 billion people killed before the fifth seal is opened because of the wars that are perpetrated by the Antichrist, who's the, the rider on the white horse, in verse 1. Then, in chapter 7, we have a break. You have, if you go to chapter 6, verses 12 through 17, <clears throat> we have the opening of the sixth seal. But in chapter 8, verse 1, it said when he opened the seventh seal. So what we have is a break. Um, when we get to chapter 7, it is information that's being given to us before we get into the opening of the seventh seal. So the seventh seal is going to contain the seven, uh, what I call either the third judgments or the trumpet judgments. So um, we have here the sealing of them. We have the winds being stopped in verse 1. Um, the point that I like to repeat here is that um, uh, we have these four angels come down and there's no wind that blows on the sea or on any tree. And if you remember last week, we tied this into Revelation chapter 11, verse 2, where it talks about the length of time <clears throat> of the two witnesses. Uh, they witness immediately at the beginning of the tribulation for 1,260 days. And then it says that there will be no rain for the duration of their limited time, for three and a half years. So as you look at chapter 7, it's giving us information. It's giving us information of what's going to happen um, during the first three and a half years. If you have no wind, you have no um, cycle of storms blowing in. We know it's going to be beautiful for the next couple of days. It's going to be hot and muggy on, <laughs> on Sunday and Monday, or so they say. Then we have the sealing of the 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses in verses 5 through 8. I purposely do that because the Holy Spirit went out of his way to make sure that, you know, we're talking about Jewish people. We made mention here that Dan and Ephraim are not mentioned because they were the ones that introduced idolatry into Israel. It caused them to commit spiritual fornication, just like the church of Thyatira did. So, um, let's pick it up. There's no way of getting around this. This is a, this is a heavy chapter um, that we're about to enter into, these two. So, in chapter 8, there was a break in action. We're going to find this repetitive like when we get to the end of the sixth <clears throat> trumpet judgment, there's going to be a break. And then we have information before we go into the bold judgments. All right, you ready? All right, here we go. Verse 8, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Let's read the first five verses. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he would offer it with prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar, threw it to the earth, and there was noise, thunderings, and lightning, and an earthquake. Um, this is a very solemn scene. The Lord here puts a halt in heaven, in hell, in earth. Um, nothing can move without his permission. And imagine... Well, let's just say I didn't say anything for the next 10 minutes. If I didn't say anything for the next 15 seconds, would you begin to feel awkward? Imagine that happening 
in heaven and earth and hell. Silence for half an hour. And I guess you would call it the calm before the storm. What's about to happen is so unthinkable, unimaginable, the heaviness of it, that um, there's silence in heaven because of what's about to happen. Because it's never happened before. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, this period of time that's about to take place, there's never been a time like it before. There will never be a time like it after. And unless the Lord actually comes back to planet Earth to intervene and shorten the time, no flesh should be saved. So um, I, want to let, <clears throat> I want to sort of let that set in, the heaviness of what is about to transpire at this point. And um, so the first um, verses 1 through 5 um, the first four trumpets that we're going to look at are supernatural, or some sort of a d- divine meteor shower. Uh, no rain, fires burn, one-third of the green grass, one-third of the trees, Earth's beauty is taken from the planet. Uh, the seven angels with the incense and the destruction that's about to take place, according to Dr. W.H. Pickering of California Tech, says that in a half an hour, the East and the West could destroy civilization. Now, remember, even before we get into this, two billion people have already been killed because of the wars perpetrated by the Antichrist. That's two billion people. So as we get into the, the first trumpet, we read in verse 6, So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound, and the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, I can't help but think of uh, the plagues of Egypt where it was hail and fire mixed together that came down as one of the judgments before uh, the plague of, of the firstborn of Egypt being killed. So we see that being repeated in chapter 11 because um, the water is going to be turned into blood. And that was one of, the, one of the plagues. And I believe it's actually Moses that is going to do that, going to do that there. So this is a prelude to um, just taking away the beauty of, of planet Earth. Uh, the second trumpet, verse 8, then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of all living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, this evidently, the second trumpet, um, could be an asteroid. Um, It could be an an H-bomb or an atomic bomb of some sort. Um, whatever it is that's thrown into the sea, uh, the devastating effects is one-third of it is, is destroyed. But I tend to believe it's probably, well, I don't know. It, this is my speculation, uh, um, the Lord allowing an atomic or a hydrogen bomb to go off, or this great asteroid that destroys um, a third of the ocean. The third trumpet, beginning with verse 10. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and of the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many died from the water because it was made bitter. So we have the first two Judgments, one on the ocean, that would be um, the salt water, 
And then the next one is um, the freshwater source. And because um, that's our main necessity for life is to have water, one-third of that is taken away. Um, possibly because of radiation contamination. But again, that's my speculation. I don't know for sure. And like I like to say, your speculation is just as good as my speculation unless it's clearly spelt out. Good place for an amen. So I'm speculating when I make that statement. But it makes sense to me. When we read in Ezekiel 39 that they weren't allowed to touch the bodies but only put up a marker, that tells me we're talking nuclear because of radiation. And professional people, probably just in protective suits, were the ones that were hired to go around and bury the bodies that were left over from the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. So what, whatever this is that comes out of heaven, and of course these nukes go out of our atmosphere before they re-enter, so it could be viewed as such. Um, the fourth trumpet sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, and a third of them were darkened, and a third of, a, of the day did not shine, and likewise night. And so on the fourth one, if let's just say that this password was nuclear. Anybody ever hear of a nuclear winter? Okay, that's the side effects of a nuclear blast, and it would have that sort of uh, effect. Masses of amount of soot from burning cities in the atmosphere, and the result of the nuclear uh, winter, if indeed um, uh, it, it is a nuclear attack. That means the grass, the trees, and the oceans um, are all diminished at this time by one-third. And then the last verses, the fourth trumpet in verses 12 and 13, the fourth angel sounded. <clears throat> oh, we already read that. And I looked and I heard, oh, we didn't read 13. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. So as we said earlier, these first, um, first four trumpets seem to be supernatural or some sort of a divine meteor. Um, as we get into uh, chapter 9, uh, the last three trumpets are separate from the other four by the fact that there are three woe trumpets. And I saw and I heard one eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a great voice, Woe, woe, woe to them dwelling upon the earth by reason of the remaining voices of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to blow their trumpets. We are coming to a section, and that i got to tell you guys, this to me is the strangest chapter to me in the Bible. It is so far out there in what we're about to dive into. Um, unless, you know, you really know your Bible well and the certainty when Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word, it has to happen, and I literally take that literally and seriously, then I take this seriously, but believe me, it is out there what we're about to dive into next. We're coming to a section that is weird and wild. It boggles the mind as we read through this chapter. The first three were against the earth. The last four that we're going to read now are against man himself. Two woes in chapter 9. The third woe is the bold judgments. Can I say that again? Two woes in chapter 9. And the third woe, woe happens in the last series of judgments which we call the bold judgments. All right. Um, Let's read verses uh, 1 through 5. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, 
And to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke rose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass on the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their forehead, and they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. All right, a fallen star from heaven, it has a key that opens a shaft that leads down to a place that's called the bottomless pit. Probably Lucifer. And you say, wait a second, Dwight, this, this, this came from heaven. Well, yeah, that's where Lucifer is. That's what the book of Job teaches. And it also tells us in Revelation, um, well, let's see, it would be turn the page to chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell on the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. So we have him having access to both realms, the spiritual realm and the earthly realm. And it's probably Lucifer. And I'll tell you um, why here in just a second that I'm sure it's Lucifer. And um, he has orders and decrees among other angels. He has access to heaven He's called the Prince of the Power of the Air. Now, I'm going to spend a little rabbit trail here going off, and uh, I'm going to have you turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. So let's go over there and talk about something that um, nobody talks about at all. The reality of it um, is why I want to spend a little time on it, because uh, we're caught up in a world that keeps us so busy we're not really aware of the reality of the spiritual realm. Remember, I think it was just within the last couple of weeks, it said, be careful how you treat strangers because you might be entertaining an angel unaware. <laughs> and uh, so in Luke chapter 8, picking it up in verse um, 26, Uh, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. Actually, the land of the Gadarenes, if you look in your mind's eye, just picture the Sea of Galilee. And um, at the very top, you'd have Capernaum, and then uh, Bethsaida, Chorazin. And as you're coming down uh, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, not very far, five miles you come to this area that we're reading right now. It's called the Land of the Gadarenes. And um, that's where, when it says it's opposite Galilee, verse 27, when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons, plural, for a long time. He wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. Bob Bennett's got a great song called Man of the Tombs. Um, and just, um, well, if you ever get a chance to Google it, it's worth listening to. It's that, it's that good. Actually, we actually took Bob with us one cu- couple times to Israel, and when we visited this place, he made the place really come alive because he sang Man of the Tombs. And um, the point of his song is he was just as messed up as this guy was, but then the Lord healed him. And he's, the last verse of his song is, Man of the Tombs, Am I? Because he was put in his right mind and right state of mind because of Jesus, what Jesus did for him. And when he saw, verse 28, 
Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice saying, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you not to torment me. Now, these are the demons speaking, not the man. Why? Because he had commanded the unclean spirits that we know to be legion to come out of the man, for he had often seized him and kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Now, just let this sink in. He has supernatural strength. He's got chains on him. Just breaks him, just like that. And our last trip to Haiti, we had we had a free day, so um, uh, Bastia took us to what we call the waterfall. It is one of the main voodoo places in all of Haiti. And we walk up... The, to the falls itself, but there's these huge caves where they go in and they go into a ritual. A lot of the times they'll get really pumped up on um, Haitian rum or they'll just dance themselves into a frenzy, all with the idea to open themselves up and invite a spirit to, to possess them. Um, two points here. I don't think a person can be demon-possessed unless a person willingly or unknowingly exercises their will. Unwillingly, you can open yourself up through Ouija boards, yoga, uh, transcendental meditation. Uh, That would be the unknowing way that you can open yourself up to demon possession. Uh, A faster track to it is just going right ahead and seek after being possessed by a demonic spirit. And that's the case in voodoo. Um, In 2001, Aristide officially declared voodoo the state religion in Haiti. They dedicated it and made it and gave it over to the devil. Now, having said that, he told us a story. And I said, Bastia, just... I'm just curious. Tell me a little bit what happens when a person comes. And he says, well, there are a lot of people there. Everybody gets all worked up. And they invite a spirit to come. And the spirit can go from one to another. And I said, well, what happens when that happens? And he says, well, you see that tree? Well, that's not big enough. (laughs) He says, you see that tree? You know, 40 feet tall. He says, when a spirit possesses a person, that person can climb up that tree. Um, You've all seen movies of like Return of the Mummy or something like that where you see these mummies climbing the sides of buildings and stuff like that. He says it's like that. And he said what happened, he heard one time, is that one was possessed with a demon, quickly within seconds climbed to the top of this tree, but then the spirit left that person, and the person's up in his tree completely freaking out because the person doesn't know how to climb trees and doesn't know how to get out. And um, having said that, my point is this. The Bible teaches that when you're possessed that you can have supernatural strength. Uh, this is evidently just a human being that broke the, ch- the, the, the chains and um, by the demon... Uh, broke the bonds, and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And then Jesus addresses the demon and says, What's your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. So I think of Mary Magdalene, um, who was possessed by seven demons, and he set her free. And of all the women in the Bible, I don't know of, one who loved the Lord as much for setting her free. She went wherever he went. Uh, She was the first one Jesus appeared to. She was at the tomb every morning. And um, so here we are told about this realm that exists that most Americans don't give it a second thought. Not Not only that are there demonic angels, but also angelic angels 
that we are told we might entertain without even knowing about it. And um, I think the church is woefully naive to this realm. They're not in Haiti. I was talking to Jerry down here when they go down to um, Jamaica about the reality of, of this world also. Um, they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. What is the abyss? They don't want to go there. And so they're begging, not don't let us go there into the abyss. And so there was a herd of swine was feeding there on the mountain. Now we're in Israel. We're in the land of Gad, okay? What are pigs doing in Israel? <laughs> Basically, the Lord is going to kill two birds with one stone here, so to speak. And they begged him that they would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went into the man, entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. And when those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and the country. And they went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man in whom the demon had departed, I like this, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So here's another man, like um, Mary Magdalene, that is set free. You know, he's in his right mind. His senses are back. When we go to, to Israel, oh, by the way, let, let me plug it. I got a call from California today. And um, we have a couple of the Calvaries, one in uh, Mike Fernandez and then uh, uh, Bill Smith in North Dakota. So we're teaming up. But time is running short. And if you're thinking at all about going, I encourage you to go. And here's a teaser. If you sign up and go to Israel, we stop the ship in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, I will show you the exact spot that this took place. It is an A site. There's only one place on the Sea of Galilee it could happen. And when we give the Bible study, I will stop and I'll say, there it is. That spot right there is where they ran down because it's the only place on the Sea of Galilee that has this thing that runs right into the Sea of Galilee. All right? I want everybody to sign up so I can show it to you. Uh, My point here is they did not want to go to the abyss, this place that even demons don't want to go to. And so now I would like you to turn to the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation, Well, let's pick it up so you get a feel for this and pick it up in verse 5 so you get a feel for this. It's interesting to me that the last book before the book of Revelation is written and has one topic in view, and that is false teachers and false prophets and what their fate is going to be. Um, well, this is so good. How can I go there without reading verse 3? Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Contend for it. Which was once delivered for all, now is delivered for the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out from this condemnation. They're ungodly men who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Example, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, who killed his brother, of course, and have run greedily in the air of Balaam. He was the prophet for hire, for prophet, and they perished in the rebellion of Korah. Well, Korah was a guy who was into splitting the flock and getting them to go back to Egypt. And he formed a whole bunch of people that stood up against Moses. And he rebelled. And that's when the earth opened up and took care of Korah and his followers. 
But the verse that I want to get to is verse 5 and 6. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this. So we've talked about this a lot. Why do we go over things over and over? You know them. But to remind you that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own habitation he has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness of the judgment of that great day. So here the Lord is telling us, I'm going to come back to this verse in just a little bit, but here he's telling us that there are demons that are in a place of habitation and they're being held there until the judgment of that great day. And that could have one of two meanings. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself with that. I want to turn to one more, which is Second Peter 2, verse 4. Peter also declares the same thing. Second Peter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be to be reserved for judgment. Now I want to read verse 5 too, because we're living in the days of Noah. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world, on the ungodly. Well, we're living in the days of Noah. And the Lord said he's going to come when, uh, as it was in the days of Noah, when everybody was just... You know, everyday life, everything's fine. And all of a sudden, one was taken and one was, one was left behind. All right, let's go back to our text now. Um, the sixth, we read here that an angel comes down. He was giving a key to the bottomless pit. And um, we have locusts coming out upon the earth. And um, But they're not ordinary locusts because they don't go after what locusts go after. Locusts are driven by the wind. Wherever the wind goes, that's where they go. And when they land, they can cause a plague of famine because they can destroy everything. And we're told here that they're different. They're let out of this place that Legion did not want to go into. Uh, and now they are let loose, and they have torment for five months. The only other place in the Bible where there's judgment on the earth for five months where it's named actually is how long the waters were upon the earth during the flood. They were on the earth for 150 days, but that's five months just for what it's worth. Um, Do I want to go there now? Seven, let's pick it up. In those days men will seek death, and that will not be able to find it. They will desire to die death, but death will flee from them. Imagine saying, I'm in so much pain from the the sting, from these creatures, that I want out, and they try to kill themselves. Imagine trying to kill yourself but your spirit won't leave the body. The Lord won't allow it. Remember when Jesus was dying on a cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He's the only one that can say, Spirit, you can go home now. We can't. But at death, that's the natural result of death. The spirit leaves the body. Not for five months here. So, you know, the woe is when it says, woe, woe, woe. When God says, woe, 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 woe. And um, then it describes the shape of the locust was like horses prepared for, for battle and on their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had a breastplate like Breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many 
horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and they were stingers were in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. Now, I've heard people say, well, obviously they're talking about helicopters here. And um, no, they're not helicopters. Can I say that again? Helicopters don't come out of hell. And um, the Abuso and the other places in scriptures tell us that this clearly are demons. Jude, one of the arguments is that they're let loose. Jude says they're being held until the day of judgment. That could be one of the references that Jude's talking about. Now they're let loose. Now, verse 11. And they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is Hebrew, in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Both of those names are references to none other than Lucifer. Um, It says in the Proverbs that the locust, it just throws this out there, just says the locusts have no king over them. They're driven by the wind. However the wind goes, they go. Not these guys. These these guys are are, um, in order. They have a, a king over them, and he is the one who evidently opens them and allows all hell to break loose on planet Earth. Now, one of the connections that we always want to make is that more detail is often given to us in the Old Testament about what we just read than we have in the verses itself, and such is the case here in the book of Joel. So I'm going to have you find... We're making our way up to Joel. We're not there yet. We've got to get through Daniel. Um, we have Daniel, then we'll be in uh, Hosea. And after we get through Hosea, then we have the book of Joel. Joel is only three chapters long, and I want to draw your attention to chapter 2, and I want to read the first 11 verses. And what it's going to do is give us more clarity and definition of what happens when these demonic creatures are, are let loose on planet Earth. <clears throat> Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord has come, for it is at hand. Everybody clear so far where we're at? The day of the Lord, Daniel's 70th week, the great tribulation, the great indignation, the time of Jacob's trouble, all the same thing. But here it's called for the day of the Lord. That is a reference, and it can only be during the tribulation period. So what we're about to read in context, and we have to study our Bible in context, what's happening in the day of the Lord. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountain. A people come great and strong, and like the whom's have never seen, nor will there ever be such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like a swift steed so they run. With noise like chariots, over mountains they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people wither in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They do not break rank. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column, and when they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. 
They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. And I don't like quoting motion pictures. I, I don't think it's always appropriate. But in this case, if you've ever seen The Mummy or The Return of the Mummy, this is actually what I think they're stealing it from the scriptures. I really do. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter in the windows like a thief. Okay, I want you to go back to when you're nine years old. Okay? Mom, leave the light on. How many of you have said that? How many of you are afraid of the dark? Come on, be honest. Who was afraid of the dark? I was afraid of the dark. And I remember one time um, when we were young, uh, all four of us kids slept in the same bed. And uh, it was upstairs, and mom and dad's bedroom was downstairs. And mom said to me, now, Dwight, you're the oldest. So when I turn off the lights, you don't get afraid. So mom turns off the light, and the shade goes... So I literally jumped from the top stair all the way down to the bottom ones with the three of my brothers and sisters right on my tail. Why? Did you ever look under the bed before you go to bed? You ever ask mom to check out the closet? Come on, be honest. All right. There's, a, there's this natural fear somewhere in us as kids. But here, and the reason I'm telling this story, well, the boogeyman really is under the bed here. And they really, do, they really do come in through the window. And uh, people are going to see them. And they're, they're, verse 6, all the color in their face is going to go away. And the fear and the torment, they have every right to. Here are creatures, it says, that have never been seen before. There's never been anything like them before. Where do they come from? The abuso, the bottomless pit. They have a king over them. What's their purpose? To inflict torment and pain. What do we call our adversary? He, he has come but to kill, steal, and destroy. He hates you. And he'll do any, anything in his power to take you out, especially if you're a Christian, especially if you're a Christian walking around with God of Wonders to give out to people, or tracts or books or whatever. He hates you. And if you're armed and loaded, and packing, so to speak, spiritually, then you're even more of a target. Uh, who did the devil ask for? He asked for Peter. He says, Peter, come on over here, I want to tell you something. Civil, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. Why Peter? Because Peter was the spokesman. He was the one that would sp- speak up. Not always right, but he got it right a lot of times. And let's give Peter his, his credit. You know, He was the one that had faith said, Lord, I want to walk on water too. None of the other guys did. <laughs> Peter did. And he was doing great until he took his eyes off the Lord and put it on a storm. Gang, there's a whole Bible study right there. Take your eyes off the Lord and look at the storm and you'll go right down. Keep your eyes. What does the Lord do when he gets Peter back in the boat? He didn't go, that a boy, Pete. He said, Pete, why, why did you jump? Where's your faith? He said the same thing to the, to the disciples. But getting back to the torment here, um, let's read verse 11. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible Who can endure it? Let's go back to Revelation 9. How can, you know, how can you wrap your head around this chapter? The things that we're talking about here, just so unreal that hell is going to be released and these supernatural beings, some like in uh, Gadarenes, were not incarcerated. One third of Jesus' ministry was casting demons out of people. The disciples were all jacked up because they said, Lord, we have authority over the demons. We speak and they come out. But there's some, evidently, that are so horrifying and terrible, implying different ranks, powers, principalities, and so forth. 
describing different ranks and authority of power in the demonic realm, just as in the angelic realm, you have the archangels that are mentioned, two of them, Michael and Gabriel. Lucifer would have been the third. And um, so when we read here that the king over them, verse 11, let's go back and tie it all up. Chapter 9 is the fifth trumpet. And in it, to me, is the wildest verses in the Bible that talk about these creatures that are going to torment men for five months. And then, and then that's over. Verse 12, five months is over. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Let's finish our chapter. As we look at um, the sixth trumpet, then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year were released to kill a third of mankind. Okay, I have to stop there because I want to make sure that um, um, you catch that. And let, let it sink in on what's happened to planet Earth so far. If we turn back to chapter 6, verse 8, we read because of uh, the wars on the earth that one quarter of the earth, roughly two billion. Now we have here, we have four angels released for a, a purpose, and their job is to kill one third of mankind. We did the math on that today. It's 1.8 billion of the 2 billion that have already been destroyed. I rounded it off just for the sake of numbers to say that half of the Earth's population is destroyed by the time we get to chapter 10. Just let that sink in. Half of the world's population is gone before we get to chapter 10 and 11. All right? Now, the number of the army of the horsemen were 200 million, and I heard the number of them. Now, I remember as far back as reading uh, Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth, even back in the 70s, boasting that China, back then, could have an army of 200 million. That was in the 70s. So... Uh, and thus I saw the horses in the vision, and those who sat on them had breastplates of um, a fiery red and blue and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues. So now we're talking about um, the other half, four billion people that are left. They did not repent by these plagues. They did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. So what we have is what I call in these chapters, the third judgments or the trumpet judgments, a third and quick review of all the grass, and trees, a third of the sea and ships, a third of the fresh water, a third of the light, and a third of mankind. I call them the third judgments. And remember, at this point, 
Half the world's population is gone. It closes with the Lord making the point that even in the light of these judgments, it doesn't bring them to repentance. You know, judgments usually can harden a sinner. Um, Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Let me give you two examples as we close tonight. I don't dare stop on time. What would I do? I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight at all. Was Judas remorseful after he betrayed Jesus? Yeah, he was. He took the money back, says, I can't keep this. Throws it down. They said, we can't keep it. This blood money. So they went and bought the potter's field. Was he remorseful? Yeah. Was he repentive? No. He went on and he hung himself. There's a difference from being remorseful. And then we have Peter, let's go back to Peter, failing in his strong suit. Peter was a man's man. I'll never deny you, Lord. These other guys, I can understand if they flake out and you know, they, they go away. But remember, you called me Rocky. I'm your man. I got your back. You don't have to worry about me. And Peter denied the Lord three times. One little girl. One little girl caused him to back down. Did it after the rooster crows. The Bible tells us that Jesus looked at Peter. It was one of these things. And it wasn't a look of condemnation. It was a look of, of compassion on the Lord's part. Because the Lord knows everything. The Lord knew that Peter was going to fail him. So it wasn't a look of condemnation. It was a look of understanding that he looked at Peter and it cut Peter to the heart. And what does the Bible say Peter did? He went out and he wept bitterly. That's repentance. Two men going to the synagogue to pray. One of them prayed like this. Oh, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like those sinners standing next to me right here, that slime, and look at how, oh, man. You know that I give to World Vision, and I supported compassion and did many things, and he's gloating. The sinner wouldn't even raise his head. All he could say was, Lord, just please have mercy on me because I know who I am. I'm a wretched sinner. Please forgive me. And then the Lord says, there's two of them. He says, which one of those two do you think went home forgiven? And we all know the answer. It was one who had true repentance. And so in closing, the Bible tells us, like I like to say, there's no conversion without conviction. You can't be saved unless you repent of your sins. You've got to acknowledge that what God says about you is true, that in you dwells no good thing. Oh, there must be something good. No, it says no good thing. Uh, Paul says he won't even judge himself. He says, because my flesh is so tricky. He says, I don't judge myself. I leave that up to the Lord. Uh, it must be a work of God in a person's life. that, uh, And it's the goodness of God that leads one to repentance. I think when Peter saw that look on Jesus' face of Peter, I understand. You're, you're a man or you're a woman with feet of clay. And we're all flesh, and we're never going to maintain or attain perfection in this world. That is a really good place for an amen. You're not going to attain it here, but we're going to do our best. We got you know, Chuckism, do your best and commit the rest, right? Do your best. Give it your best shot. And then when you fall, 1 John 1, 9, repent. If you confess your sins, that he is faithful and he is just to forgive you and to cleanse you from some unrighteousness. I'm glad you're correcting me. From all unrighteousness, fresh slate, just by confessing it. And that's grace. It's the goodness of God that leads one to repentance. Yes, the Lord had to have a one-on-one with Peter. It doesn't tell us what that conversation was all about, except Cleopas and his friend, when they were coming back after the Lord appeared to him. So the Lord's risen, and he appeared to Peter. No more information. It was a private conversation. It was a one-on-one talk 
between a broken-hearted man who, who thought, there's no way, I've gone too far, there's no way that could, I could ever be accepted with the Lord again. So if that's you here tonight, or if you're watching live stream and you think it's you, know that if the Lord can do that for me and Peter and anybody, that with a true broken heart, he's not the God of a second chance. He's the God of a chance of three and four and five. And that's his goodness that brings one to repentance. Amen? So we started at a pretty heavy note, but very hopeful note on the end. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. These heavy chapters that expose something that, quite frankly, we're so busy with other things in life, we don't give it a whole second thought about this place of torment where there's actually demons waiting to be released for that day of judgment. So in the meantime, we thank you for your grace, Lord. We don't take it for granted. And your mercies that are new every single morning. And so we pray for the rest of this night, and I pray as we tie this together on Sunday morning as we get back into Daniel that you'd go before us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.